and uh, I hope that everybody's well and, and doing good. And uh, we're going to pray and get started and uh, get into uh, get into this text tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight and thank you for letting us gather. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your hand being upon us, Lord. Father, we pray for the families, Father God, that were in uh, in the way of this this tornado, Father. Lord, I ask that you touch them, touch their families, Father. I pray that you'll bring help and relief, Father God, to these ones who are or are in need. And Father, we just uh, as as we have been in the past, also, Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for our our president, Lord, and we we pray, Father God, that your your mighty hand would guide and lead this nation, Father God, and we. We know, Lord God, that, that we can't just ask, Lord, and not do something on our end. Father, help us to be responsible Christians and to be people of action, Father God, and not just people of talk. And we just thank you once again for this opportunity uh, to be on here and to be engaged in your word, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, getting started. Um, and I, I wanted to cover a couple of scriptures before we really got into the text because um, I want to really talk about something that I I'm I was been impressed with. It's definitely something that I see. It's not an opinion. So when I when I base this, I could or when I say this, um, I base this um, on factual evidence, um, statistics. Obviously, I'm not bringing all of that tonight. But there are there are a lot of things that will point in the direction of what I'm talking about tonight. Some of you are going to already know what I'm talking about uh, when, when we get into it. But I want you to look. Uh, let's look at Philippians chapter two. I ask you guys to go there. Let's go ahead and turn there real quick. You, most of you are probably already there. But for those of you that had just got on, let's look at uh, Philippians chapter two, uh, verses five through eight. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So verses uh, five Six, seven, and eight speak about having the mind of Christ. Now, what what you have to understand is is that in in religion, in, in Christianity, it's when we talk about having the mind of Christ, you hear a lot of people talk about that and they say, Well, I have you know, I, I have the mind of Christ, but not really fully understand what that means. And you know, we, we say, Well, you know, it, that's just to think like Christ did. Well, I mean, there's a lot that goes with that. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to come uh, for us to come into the mentality of Christ. There's a lot. And, and it kind of explains it here. And it's really telling. And, and I just want to take a second to, to, to look at it and, and look at what it's saying when it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Well, I mean, in verse five, this where everybody gets excited. Everybody's like, yes, that's it. That's the verse that, you know, I've got the mind of Christ. Right. You do have the mind of Christ. But if you're like me, you probably figured out that it, it didn't all happen at salvation. And there's a lot of work that we have to do in order to really have the mind of Christ. It is a, it's a bit of an effort. It's a bit of an effort uh, to have the mind of Christ and to be able to think like him. All right. 
Well, let's look at what he says. When he says, you know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. In verse 6, he says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. This is speaking of your uh, Savior, Christ, in that he had everything by being with the Father and said, okay, in order for this to be accomplished, in order for this to get done, I'm going to have to become like them. This is what I'm going to have to do. And this is the point where we enter the mind of Christ, where you get a, where you get a look. Now, I understand that there's nobody and, and has nobody and will never be anybody like Christ. But what we can glean from this is the mindset. It's, it's the mindset here, because first they said, OK, you're going to have the mind of Christ. But then it, it goes on to explain what he where he was at and then what he did in order to accomplish what he accomplished, which therein gives the hint, hint. This is how to think like him. This is the hint. This is what I, I really like about the word of God is it didn't just come out and say that per se. If you read it, then you'll understand the flow and what it's actually saying right here. is that when it said that it took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He's made like us. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. What did he do? He humbled himself. Mentality. The mind of Christ is laced with humility. I like that because that's ex it's explanatory. Um, it's it's easy to understand. Okay, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? What was what was Christ thinking by leaving the 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 heavens and coming down here? Well, right here it says he humbled himself. Humility. That's a part of the mind of Christ is having a having the mind of humility. Um, it's not in, think about it like this. It's not in your nature to think that way. It's not in your nature to think humble and to think humility. You do not have a nature that's designed that way. You have a nature that's designed to be selfish and to think selfishly and to think about you and to think about your wants and your desires and your needs. And, and if you haven't figured out yet, especially if you've spent any kind of time in the kingdom at all, you figure out real fast that it's really easy to lose yourself right here and get lost and lose track of what's really important. It's really easy to do that. So when we start saying we need to have the mind of Christ, then we also need to know what comes along with that, too. Um, there's a lot of humility that comes with the mind of Christ. There is a lot of self-sacrifice that comes with the mind of Christ. I, I, I challenged a, a lot of you. I challenged the whole church, anyone that was willing to even pay attention uh, a couple weeks ago to a fast. Um, I don't know how that's going for you. Uh, it's, it's going it's going pretty good here. Um, it's not an easy thing because it doesn't really appeal to my physical side. It doesn't really appeal to my my my, my mindset as a individual. It appeals to my spirit. But it's not very appealing to my to my mindset because I've got all these other things on my mind. And, you know, when your your mind is full of, of, of work and your mind's full of all these other things, it just keeps breathing those type of things. And so it's so my mind has been literally off base. It's been pulled out of itself 
on those days of fasting and it challenges me to have to put my desires and my things to the side. You could say that it puts you in a place of humility, which is exactly what we're talking about here in this scripture on what is it and what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, you're going to have to be humbled. You got to humble yourself and you're going to have to get away from yourself. And it says here and finishing this and then we'll move on and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that's another thing about the mentality of Christ and having the mentality of Christ is that you will be obedient and you will be accountable to something. You're going to be obedient and accountable to something. The question is, is exactly what will that be? Will that be the right thing or will that be the wrong thing? And I think that's a that's a great thing to challenge yourself with tonight. That's a great thing to consider and, and to and to really ask yourself is what is it that you're obedient to? Are you obedient to your own desires on a continual basis? Oh, look, I mean, I know we're human and I, I know that that we have certain things that we do. I'm not saying that we're just cut off from everything and everyone. I mean, I understand we have to live in this world and we do things in this world and that's fine. But I think when we're talking about having a spiritual life, when you are talking about living a life for God, then this is a topic that has to come up. It has to come up about where your thinking is at. How, what is your perception of, of the life that you live before God? How do you see yourself in that? Where's your place at? And we're going to get into that here as we go. And I'll, and I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. But I, I wanted to point out the fact that mentality, the, the having the mind of Christ is enormously important uh, when we're about to move into this particular subject that we're going to be covering tonight. So let's do uh, let's do one more. Let's do First Corinthians two and 16. You guys will turn there real quick. First Corinthians two and 16. It's not too much farther back. It says this for who has known the mind of the Lord that he yet he may instruct him. Meaning who's known who's known the mind of the Lord that you may be able to give him instruction. And then it says, but we have the mind of Christ, meaning you don't teach him. He teaches you. You don't impart your mind and your knowledge upon him. He imparts his mind and his knowledge on you. And that's the way that this works is that that we're looking for God to impart this upon us. We're looking for God to to constantly change our perspective and to change our viewpoint, change the way that we are looking at things and viewing things. Um, you've heard me say this before, some of you that are in Rock Harbor Church, and and I don't I don't mean this. Don't take this the wrong way. Um and I'm not speaking uh, about a life that doesn't have miracles because God does a lot of miracles. God does a lot of things for us that 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 are miracles that we don't even we don't actually see them. But perspective right here, perspective many times is the difference between whether you feel in bondage or whether you feel free. Sometimes it's just perspective. I mean, you can you can sit and talk with somebody and and some of you may have already have done this before you or maybe it happened to you. You uh, you you're having a bad stretch in your life and, and you don't understand things and things don't make sense. And 
and you're in a real bad situation uh, it's very vexing or, or whatever it is and you sit down and talk with somebody and then you get up and you feel you feel that freedom maybe something they said maybe you're maybe something uh, that was conversated or talked about and you wonder how is that possible how is it possible that I feel better my situation hasn't changed everything is still the same I still don't have no money I still don't have uh, the vehicle that I need I still don't have every you know all the, the essentials and, and that's what usually it is is we're in a situation where we have a lot of needs um, and we're vexed and we're, we're really being pressed to the limit nothing's changed but what's changed your perspective your mindset and now you you get some word in you and then you begin to see your situation from a different angle. It's not always this, okay, God, I need you to come and move this ginormous mountain. A lot of times the mountain is here. A lot of times it's the fact that you're not thinking with the mind of Christ. And, and because of that, we constantly stay defeated. We constantly see things from the angle of the world, and we don't see them through Christ's eyes. And so which this brings me to the meat of what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Gospel of John, chapter 5, and we're starting in uh, verse 1. Talking about, um, in which it's titled at the top of my, at, at the chapter, the Pool of Bethesda. Some of you have read this, uh, and some of you may be familiar with these, uh, these scriptures. But let's go ahead and get started in verse 1. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate. Or a sheep market, a pool, which is called in Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Um, I actually watched some documentary about the pool of Bethesda. Um, a lot of people had not been able because of, uh, some, I would say, some scholars had doubted uh, its existence. And um, I'd watched a documentary recently where they had actually ex excav excavated uh, this location and actually located um, these particular pools. And it had been, the, it, it, I don't remember the exact date and, the, and time and all that stuff, but they had, uh, it actually bought, uh, brought validity to this particular scripture that mentions um, these, these pools and uh, the, uh, the five porches. Anyway, it says, in verse three, it says, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered. Um, this is uh, a, a place of, uh, this is like an infirmary. This is what this is. It's an infirmary. This is just a, a lot of sick people. Uh, a lot of people basically set to die uh, if something doesn't change. And it says that, uh, that they were, uh, those were impotent folk and blind and halt and withered waiting for the moving of the water. Now that's the part that you got to catch. So they're they're, they're waiting for this this water to move, which if you made it to that point, if you're not familiar with the story, then you are, you're already thinking, OK, the moving of what water it says for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water it says this happened in a certain season. OK, and there's certain different times that this would, would happen. We're not exactly sure when and how frequent that was, but we just know that it did happen at some point. And it said that 
Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole at at whatsoever disease he had. Now, I try to imagine what this was like, because you can just imagine in your mind if this was the case, who all, number one, who all is going to be present? Well, everybody that needs a healing, everybody that needs, you know, something. They are all waiting for this uh, water to be troubled. But one thing that that is is interesting to me um, is that only one, only one gets to go. Only one. And it said, it said that, uh, and when that person was stepped in, that they were made completely whole. And so you imagine there's a bit of chaos that surrounds this pool. You, you can imagine that the, there's quite a bit of activity and there's action and they're waiting for this thing to get stirred so they can get in there and get what they need um, and they can get their healing. And it says, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. Now, in order to understand the gra- and grasp the story in totality, I want you to first understand the stretch of years that this man had been in his condition. And I want to link that to what we had talked about before. Now, let me just read that. I'm going to read it again. And then I'm going to talk about the, those particular scriptures. Um, it says in certain there was a certain man there which had an infirmity 30 and eight years, 38 years. He had this infirmity. Now, what did we talk, start off about talking or talking about? We started talking about the mind of Christ or having the mind of Christ and thinking like him. OK, how many of you know when how many of you can attest to the fact that, you know, you got saved and it's like you're on fire? I mean, mentally, emotionally, everything is geared towards God, everything. And. You know, you're just going and it's easy to go to church and it's easy to read your Bible and it's easy to read your word. And it's, you got all these things working for you at all times. And it, it always seems like it's so much easier then. Well, and then something happens. And it seems to don't it down a little bit and then something else happens. And it kind of feels like it dones it down a little bit. And then you're constantly dealing with these these situations in life that are what we call life experiences. It's life after salvation. Guess what? Life after salvation is the best thing in the world. And it's also the biggest test of your entire life. It's going to be really good, but it's going to be really tough. And that's, that's the way I like to define that is because yeah, it's fantastic. It's fantastic to live a life for Christ, but I obviously don't ever want to paint anybody a wrong picture and to paint a picture. That's, that's not exactly accurate. It's a life. That requires a lot. It requires a lot of dedication. It requires a lot of devotion. It requires something of you. It requires, as we talked about before, sacrifice. It requires it. You got to have it. And so, so you think about the way that you started, and and all of you that are seasoned Christians that are on here, and you spent some time in the Lord. Every one of you can say that you are not the same person that you were when you started. You're, you're not. You are a completely different individual than when you started. But there are other things that come with that, too. And I'm not speaking necessarily negatively. I'm just saying that over time, our mindset changes. Over time, things happen to this thing up here. And if we're not careful, I mean, we start out great. We have this this great mindset. You know, we're going to give everything to God and everything is his. And then from that point on, then it's the battleground for your mind. It's this battleground. Yes, I know I have the mind of Christ. Absolutely. But that is 
that is that is something that was paid for by him. But it's something that I have to work on and receive on a continual basis. You you cannot sit here and tell me that once you got the you received, you said, yes, I've got the mind of Christ. And then you didn't have to discipline your thoughts. You didn't have to cast out certain thoughts that were unhealthy for you. Every one of you on here, if you know, you know what that war is like and what that battle is like. I mean, it's, it's sometimes it is difficult. It's it, you got to pry it. You are prying it out of this, the, your, this mentality and to, to have a mindset, to have a, to have a, to have a mindset that's like Christ. Now I want to, I want to clear something up about this mindset real quick before we go any further. Cause remember we talked about, he's says right here in scripture, he's been here for 38 years, right? Okay. To have the mind of Christ does not mean that your thoughts are always pleasant okay it's this is a real mind here so let's first of all before we start painting the picture of having the mind of christ let's first of all paint it realistically okay that means that you are if you have the mind of christ there will be continual warfare over what goes on up here i mean think about it i mean if if there was if you didn't have the mind of Christ, why would there be a war? Think about it. I mean, if, if it wasn't paid for and all the potential in the world wasn't there available to you, why would there even why would there even be a need for a war for it? It's because the enemy knows what's rightfully yours. He knows that the mind of Christ is yours, paid for by the blood of Jesus. It's yours by right. And so I reach out and I take it. Then what does he try to do? He tries to take it from me. He tries to change the way that I see certain things. And so when I start talking about having the mind of Christ, I'm not necessarily talking about having to fight thoughts that we don't like, because I think that's just that's just common. I, I don't think that anybody, anybody walks around with their head in the clouds and in and in the fields because they've attained some sort of high level of spirituality where their mind is just. Free from all the burdens. It doesn't work that way. See, see, having the mind of Christ doesn't mean that you get to control every thought that comes down the pipe. Having the mind of Christ is understanding the ultimate perspective. It, it's understanding and seeing the big picture. That's having the mind of Christ. And so I don't want to give away everything, but let's say it like this. It's understanding that we are victorious. Okay, you with me? That we are victorious. Through Christ. That's that's where the understanding comes from. It comes through him and it comes through what he did for us on the cross. So by by pushing away some of the superficial stuff. And what I mean by that is, is every every little bitty thought that comes down the pipeline that I don't like or I don't like to have to battle. That doesn't mean that I don't have the mind of Christ. What it, what it means is, is that I'm going to have to fight these battles daily in order to maintain what God has given me. OK, that's perspective. That is perspective. I've got perspective because I read this <clears throat> perspective. Okay. <clears throat> so he's been there for 38 years. All right. I should say he's, he's had this infirmity for 38 years. All right. So um, it's not, it's not the day-to-day -day thoughts that are a concern. It's not. Do you have to fight? Yeah, absolutely. But here, I'm going to give you something else here. And I hope, I hope everybody on here receives this. <clears throat> it's not that. 
It's not the thoughts from day to day that necessarily, even as a believer myself, that concern me. It's the chronic, the chronic attack that is not noticed and that we allow to go on. And it's the, the, the chronic uh, changing of our perspective that's not godly and, and it ends up being ungodly. We are seeing something in our society today. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to I'm going to throw something out there. Don't nobody get mad at me about this, but I'm, I just want to lay it out there because I have seen uh, there are quite a few Christians. I'll just say quite a few. There are quite a few Christians that I have seen with this mentality. You know what the mentality is? It's called a victim mentality. We see it a lot today. It's called a victim mentality mentality now before i get into talking about a victim mentality first of all i just want to make sure that that you know that i understand that there are people that have been victims of certain things absolutely i totally get that and see that's the that's the thing that christ paid the price for you know you've been a victim of certain things you know how can i be delivered how can i get out of this how can i how can i be uh how can i be saved how can i in enjoy um a life with with Christ after everything that I've done, he paid the price. So you didn't have to stay being a victim. He did. And so what do I mean by victim mentality? I'll give you a short end definition of what a victim mentality is. A victim mentality always thinks that it's someone else that's getting in the way. It's someone else that's getting the upper hand. It's someone else that's caused me my misfortune. It's someone else that keeps causing my issues. And if so-and-so would change their way, if so-and-so would change their way, if so-and-so would quit saying these things to me, my life would be great. That's a victim mentality. Because victimization in the sense that I'm putting it in. I'm not putting it in the literal sense. I'm not saying that you haven't been through hard times. I'm not saying that somebody hasn't done you wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if we allow that moment to define us, if you allow the situation that you've been through to, to define you and to define you who you are, and then it becomes an engrossing thing that begins to bleed over into every other aspect of your life, that becomes a victim mentality. And, and then it, it begins to grow from there. The problem is, is that I'm seeing that there are people that legitimately don't even have anything in mind. They're not even necessarily holding on to anything. They just enjoy the victim mentality. They enjoy not having to be accountable to themselves. And they constantly look at someone else as being the one that needs to be the change. You need to change. You need to change your attitude. You need to change your ways. You need to change all these things. You change this stuff. Think about it. I mean, now, how many of you? I'm gonna I'm walk on some, some, uh, some thin ice. How many of you on here? How many married couples? How many of you, when you've been in, you've been in an argument, and at the pinnacle of the argument, at the heat of it, you said to yourself, "Man, if they would just change, this whole thing would be a lot easier to do." Now, I don't know if you're sitting together with your couple, you know, as a couple tonight, but if you are, you probably nudge him. And that's fine. It's meant to be kind of funny. But see, the, the, the thing is, is that anytime I had that mentality, anytime that I've had that mentality, God began to convict me and deal with me and begin to show me 
hey, buddy, you got a lot of changing to do before you go looking at someone else. So what was what is he doing? So, I mean, if God always give me my way, I mean, if you always give me what I wanted in that sense, I would always want to push it off to someone else. And I had this guy tell me a long time ago, um, he said, if, if everybody would be 100 percent accountable, <clears throat> if everybody would be 100 percent accountable for everything that went on in their life, just that our world would be at an entirely different place. Just everybody being 100 percent accountable. Yep. You know what? It's my fault. Yep. I screamed and yelled and I shouldn't have. Yep. I was the one who cheated, lied and stole. Yep. It was me. But we're not seeing that in our world today. We're seeing the victim mentality. We're seeing it used as a weapon. We're seeing it being used as a weapon in politics, in law, and in every uh, level of our infrastructure as a country. We are seeing, and, and, and I will even go, and, I'm, and like I said before, I'll even go as far to say it's in the church that people have a victim mentality. People, and, I, and I understand it's, it's kind of scary. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of thin ice to be talking about stuff like that because people don't want to hear about that. People don't want to, you know, don't want to talk about those kind of things. Um, there are people out there that need help. Absolutely. But there are also those who have a victim mentality that constantly think that if you don't give to them, then you're just absolutely the worst person in the world. And that's just simply not true. That, that we always need to be, you know, if you're going to be a good church person, then you need to have your you need to be making sure and you need to give everybody what they what they need. If they dub that they need something, you better be there giving it to them. If you want to be a good religious person, that's simply not true. That's 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 a bunch of hype and, and, and a bit of propaganda that's been fed throughout the years. And I see a lot of people I've seen people in the past. I don't see a lot of people. I have seen people in the past give give not because they necessarily wanted to, because they simply were afraid that if they didn't give, the repercussions would be worse because of the victim mentality. And that's just awful. That's just an awful state that, that we're in as a society if that's what we feel we have to do and to, and to meet people on that level. We, we've got to get away from that. We've got to get away as God's people, away from the victim mentality that it's always someone else's fault. It's always somebody else's wrong. It's always somebody else doing something to us and us not ever actually being accountable to our own actions. I don't really care how good your church is. And it's only as good as the people that are in it and that sit in the pews. So if your church is full of people that are, are taking accountability for their actions and being accountable, it's going to be a really good church. If you've got people that like to um, like to gossip and like to go behind people's back and do things and, and that are not accountable people, it's probably going to be a church split somewhere down the road. Think about anybody that's been in a church that's split before, and you tell me if there wasn't a lack of accountability somewhere. I'm just saying. That's just something to consider. So we've got to make sure that we stay with this dangerous ground. It's very dangerous ground for us to be in. Okay, so back to the man. Been there 38 years, right? 38 years has a way of, of changing your mentality, changing the way that you think. I don't know how he started out. There's really no word on how he started out, but we just what we're going to say is that I kind of – in, in a sense, I understand that he's been subjected to a long line of dealing with this infirmary or the infir infirmity, dealing with it from within himself, from a mental aspect and a physical aspect. You've been dealing with this stuff for a really long time. And so he says, and when Jesus saw him uh, lying 
and knew that he had been there now a long time. In that case, he said unto him, will you be made whole? Okay, stop. And I'll, I, I noticed something here. Think about the question that he asked him. Uh, how many of you on here, you can show by a little hand clap or whatever. How many of you know when Jesus said something, there was meaning behind it? And if it's recorded in this word, there was a reason that God said what he said. The reason the Holy Spirit put it in this Bible for you to read, catch it, catch it. He says something here. He said, do you, and I'm going to rephrase it, do you want to be healed? Is that what you want? Do you want to be a whole person? Now, I want you to look at something here. Look at the man's response. Said the impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Now. I'm all for feeling sorry for him from a story standpoint. It's like, oh, well, nobody will help him in the water. But I caught something. I had never quite looked at it this way before. He never answered Jesus's question. He never answered it. And I thought that was kind of odd because, I mean, it's a yes or no question. Do you want to be made whole? He asked him a straightforward question and it's recorded in God's word. Now, you may think you may think that he answered it. He didn't. You said, oh, he's telling you why he didn't do that. No. He's not giving you a yes, and he's not giving you a no. He's giving you the excuse. Now, before you jump and say, now, hold on just a second now. And you tell me if that you don't see yourself in that. You tell me if you don't see yourself in that. When somebody asks you a direct question and we skirt around it, and we don't really give the real answer. And they're yes or no. Are you doing okay? Well... And we don't ever actually answer the question. We dodge it because I don't really want to tell you because there's some other things going on underneath. Now, I'm not trying to read too far into this, but I do want you to pay close attention to the way this unfolds. It's very important. So he said, he asked the question, he says, do you want to be made whole? And he said, I've got no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So I got to thinking and putting a couple of things together. So we don't know how often the season came for the water to be troubled, right? But we don't know. We've got no idea. I don't know exactly how often the water got troubled. Don't know how long the man has actually been at the pool of Bethesda waiting to be healed. I don't know that. I do know that the Bible indicates to us that when Jesus had seen him, he said he knew that he had been there a long time. So we don't know exactly how long that time was. We just know that that's, you know, that we're working with some general time frames. Um, what I think is interesting to me is not so much what is said, but what is not said. That's always the thing that interests me about the Bible and the way that it, it, it portrays the stories. It's not just necessarily what it's saying, but it's the things that it's not saying that tells even more than that. And so when we look at this man and we look at him telling that, hey, I don't got no one to get me into the water. OK, fair enough. I get what you're saying. But let me ask you a question, just you, all of you that are on here. Let me ask you a question. 
when you really want something, do you allow anything to stand in your way to get it? I'm asking a question. When you really want something, do you let anything get in your way to get it? I'm not saying necessarily that this man was just moped out feeling sorry for himself, because if I was to say that, then I might be speaking out of context of what the word actually says here. What I'm asking you to look at is what is not said. And the fact that when he when he's when we're looking at what he is actually saying here, he is not actually giving an answer to the question that Jesus asked. He's not giving an answer. And so as I see the slip and him to say, ain't nobody helping me in the water. And that's the reason I can't get what I need. That sounds really interesting. Actually, that sounds kind of familiar. I can't get what I need because you won't do your part. I can't get what I want because you wouldn't do anything for me. Think about that. Think about that for just a minute. He didn't say, I want to be healed. He didn't say, I didn't want to be healed. He said, ain't nobody helping me. And because nobody will help me, I cannot get what I need. And I know when I say that, some of you are thinking, man, that's kind of coarse. This guy's infirm. There are a lot of areas in our lives that we are infirm in. A lot of them. Some of us are just flat handicapped in our spiritual lives in a lot of areas. And you know, just as well as I do, the only person that's accountable for your condition is you. It doesn't mean that bad things haven't happened to you. It doesn't mean that that things don't go on, that, that sometimes we don't like. It didn't mean that. It just simply means that at the end of the day, you are going to have to be accountable for your actions and for your mentality and the way that you see things. I can't, I can't put that on anyone else. Um, I used to work at Sundowner Trailers. And for 19 years, I dealt with some of the most foul language that you could actually be exposed to. It's a choice. It's a choice. At the end of the day, I'm either going to talk like them and then I'm going to put it on them and say, you know what? If I hadn't spent all my time around these people, then I could probably think straight and wouldn't have to talk like that. No, we can't say that. That's not right. That's not re- that's not accountability. So you you understand what I'm saying about this story and the way that the man answers and the way that he comes, the angle that he comes at. And then he points to much like Adam did. With the fall of man, what did he say? He said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me to eat. It was her. She deceived me. She caused this whole thing to happen. Now you have to read into it a little bit. And so when I read this and I caught this and I said, I've never I've never quite looked at it quite this way before. And and the, the way that he answered this in the way that I answer a lot of the own my own situations in my life and. We have got to, as God's people, and let me echo this one more time, and then we'll we'll finish up. We have got to make sure we are not being uh, and allowing ourselves to operate within a victim mentality, especially when we do not have an excuse to. And that's no disrespect. 
please understand me. There's no disrespect to anyone that's been through things in their life. No disrespect at all. No disrespect to people that have actually went through some things that are awful, absolutely horrendous things. Uh, I hope that you get that. I hope that you understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we cannot constantly live a life where we constantly point at someone else and say, the reason I didn't get what I needed from life or the reason I didn't make it to where I was supposed to be is because you got in my way. Or you took it from me. Or you cheated me. Or you said these things or done these things to me. And of course, it's very possible that that's exactly what happened. It's not, it's not a denial of fact. But then we have to look back at ourselves and we have to say, okay, what is it that, and who is it that God has designed me to be? And he gave me his mind. He said, you, I'll give you the mind of Christ. Okay. Then that means it's going to take some discipline and some understanding and some work for me to get to the bottom of this thing. But I cannot keep the mentality of victim all the time. You just can't do that. Okay. Um, he asked, will you make me a whole? He said, and then uh, he, he gave him his, his answer. And then Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Okay. Now you may say, well, you know what? Hey, it, it didn't seem like there's any fault there on the man. And I'm not saying there necessarily was what I'm using is this as a point, but I do want to point something out here is we're not actually finished yet because he actually had an encounter with this man again, and he says something very interesting to him. So I'm going to read on through. I just want you to follow me, and I want to get down to the second encounter that he has with this man and what he actually says to him in, in uh, departing with him. Um, he says he told him to take up his bed and walk, and immediately the man was, ma was made whole. And he took up his bed, and he walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said unto him, who was, uh, who was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed, which we obviously knew what the, some of the, uh, I guess you could say the the amendments <laughs> that the that the Pharisees had, had put in that had made some things. Uh, and he said, it's not lawful. You, you know, you're carrying your bed. That's work. You can't be carrying that bed. So he answered them. And, and, and uh, he who made me whole, the same said unto me, take up your bed and walk. So he said, the, the same guy that, that healed me told me to take up my bed. So I'm, I figure in the guy that healed me probably got the authority to tell me to pick up my bed. I thought he'd say that's great. He says, then answered they them, what man is that which said unto you, take up your bed and walk? And he who was healed knew not who it was. That's a really interesting point because he didn't even know who it was that actually healed him. So I think that's that's important because that lets me know that what he said to him wasn't um, wasn't designed necessarily because of who he was talking to. He was just talking because it was him. Um, and he who healed uh, knew not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. He didn't really want to know. He didn't want everyone to know who he was. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple. Okay, here's the second encounter. And he said unto him, behold, you are made whole. He's like, hey. Hey, it's, it's good to see you. You're looking you're looking good. You look like everything's going well for you now. You've been made whole. He says something right here. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. What do you think he meant? Now, we could, first of all, let's take it like this. First of all, <laughs> the obvious thing is the literal because it was always, it's always about forgiveness 
And when he healed him, he did not necessarily approach his spiritual condition at that time. He didn't approach it then. He just healed him. And then now he has the second encounter with him and he goes and he goes on ahead and he approaches um, the uh, salvation part of it or the, you know, the, the, the spiritual aspect it, to make sure that he understands, OK, listen, you've been healed. All right. Now stop sinning. Unless something worse come upon you. Another way of thinking about this, too, is that, OK, since we've been talking and looking at the way that this man answered him and the way that he had come forth is that when Jesus told him, you know, uh, sin no more, uh, lest something worse come upon you. And, and the first thing that come to me was now that you are not a victim anymore. Stop trying to become one. Now that I've delivered you, now I've set you on the right path. Now I put you in the right place. Don't go back and become a victim again. Don't do that because I've delivered you from that. You're not a victim. So I'm going to weigh, I'm going to weigh it like this. I can't get both of my hands in the camera. I'm going to weigh it like this. Is it victim or victor? Right? Victim or victor? And so God has given you the victory, right? Isn't that what Christians celebrate? Ah, he's given me the victory. I've got the victory. I've got victory in Jesus. That's right. You do have victory in Jesus. But you don't have the victory in Jesus if you're a victim. And if you play the part of a victim, and if you constantly push responsibility on someone else, and constantly look at someone else as being the one that's caused your issues or your problems, that's a victim mentality. That's not victorious. And some people are still waiting Still attaching the vi the victory to having something done about a particular problem or um, maybe even revenge. Everything that has happened to us in life, it begins to affect us. It affects us in the long term. This is what I'm speaking about. I'm going to wind it up with this. We have a. Um, we have to continually guard our thoughts and our mind because of what we go through chronically on a day to day basis. And yes, there are things that happen to us and they're not good. There are things that go down in, in our lives that are um, challenging and it challenges the way that we see things. And we, it's easy to have faith that it's easy to read the scriptures when everything is good. But it is a different thing when when your thought process is being challenged and everything that you thought would happen and unravel the way that it should didn't happen that way. So what happens? Well, we, if we're not careful, if we don't stay in the word, then we begin to adopt a different way of looking at things. And the, one of the most dangerous things that God's people can fall into is falling into a victim mentality. And that we have to guard ourselves against that to make sure that we're not casting blame, but that we are being accountable. That we are accountable to God and we are accountable to the people around us. And we accept full 100% responsibility for the things that have happened and the things that take place in our life. And that regardless of what has taken place, that we're willing to move forward and move past them. We're willing to move forward and move past them. It's true, you know, church people. Yeah, we, we're supposed to help people. We are. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to help each other. Uh, we're supposed to make sure that that, that each other have got what they need. And I'm absolutely all for that. 
but I've been in the church since I was 16 years old. I just turned 41 and I have seen a lot of victims over the years. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just telling you the truth. I've seen a lot of people play the part of a victim. I've seen a lot of people don't want to pull up their end. They don't want to be accountable. And don't want to be responsible. They want someone else to be responsible. There's a temptation. And being a victim is that. It's a temptation. I'd rather just hide behind it. It's easier. It's harder to be accountable for your actions. And it's harder. It's harder to lay your past down and to let God have it and to refuse to have your mind of Christ uh, taken away from you because of it. I'm going to close with that. I appreciate you guys being on. Um, it's uh, This has been good. I think uh, from what I heard, uh, Governor Stitt had issued some information, I believe it came out today, that um, churches will be allowed to reconvene, um, I believe, on May 1st with restrictions, of course. Um, so I urge, urge, encourage you guys to look up what those restrictions are going to be. Obviously, us at Rock Harbor Church, we're going to uh, be obedient to whatever um, those restrictions were. We're just happy that we're going to be able to reconvene. Obviously, uh, Pastor and I uh, will be getting together and, and talking about that and, and, and uh, looking forward to, I believe, they'll end up on May 3rd uh, when we're actually able to, to gather back together again. Um, but uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about it and we'll see how everything unfolds and works out. Either way, um, I've been looking. Uh, I've enjoyed these online times. If we do convene reconvene on the third, we'll have one more one of these services to go next week. And uh, and then who knows? Who knows? It could be it. Uh, so I hope that you guys are excited um, to meet back together again and and uh, see each other and to be able to worship in in, in uh, a building. Um, and not have to uh, do it this way, but it has been good. It's been very, very good. So with that said, I'm going to I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And uh, we're going to pray for each one of you that uh, that are on here tonight. If you have a need, uh, what we do is we're going to bow our heads. And if you have a need, I just want you to hold it up. Just symbolize your hand. God knows where you're at and he knows what you're dealing with. Um, we're going to pray over that. And uh, then we're going to officially uh, dismiss. So let's pray at this time. Father, thank you for tonight, Lord, and, and you see each individual, God, with the hands raised, Father God, that signify a need, signify hurts, that signify pains, that signify um, that's symbolic to the struggle, Father God, uh, that they are dealing with. Father, I pray that you touch each one of them, Father. I pray your anointing upon them, Lord. I pray that you meet the need, Father God, you're a need meter, Lord. I pray your anointing in these situations, Father. Father, I just pray tonight, Lord God, that you help us to understand fully the victory that you've given us that you've not given us a, um, uh, this, this mentality to be defeated, God, but you've given us a mentality of victory. And, Lord God, that we can stand on that and that, we, that you have delivered us, Father, and that you are here for us. And that sometimes life is hard, Lord, but you are with us the entire way. Father, I just pray tonight, God, that you give us grace and mercy, Lord, to continue this walk with you and help us to take up the places that you've called us to, Lord, in this battle in these end times. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys tonight. Once again, thank you all for being on. And uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see you guys uh, Sunday morning at the drive-in service. God bless you guys. Thanks. Mm -hmm.